and the reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46, and you can follow the reading in your pew Bibles on page 995, 995. Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these my brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison? and did not help you. He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray together? Father, we've just sung, uh, come Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit. And we pray now, please, that you would come in your power, in your love, by your grace. And that you would teach us new things about you. That we might live to serve you more wholeheartedly as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, Amen. 
you might want to have um, the passage open, Matthew 25, um, as we look at it together. So, I wonder how you are with surprises. Are you someone who uh, loves surprises? Are you someone who likes to know exactly what is going to happen to make you feel safe and secure? Have you ever been completely surprised by something that just leaves you speechless or squealing, which is what tends to happen in our house? I think I'm probably better at giving um, other people surprises than receiving them myself. I love to see people's faces when a good surprise happens, like a proposal or a birthday party or a new baby or a surprise visit from a friend. But then there are those surprises that are not so good. And they don't leave us joyful, but they might leave us fearful or sad. So when my sister phoned me last year and told me that my father had been rushed into hospital and was in intensive care, that was a surprise, but not in a good way. And I was left reeling and shocked and worried about the consequences and what was going to happen. I wonder, as we come to this passage today, whether after hearing sermons from two sections of Matthew 25... Uh, on the second coming, we perhaps wonder that there isn't very much left to surprise us. There's much in Matthew's gospel about the second coming. And this is another passage that reminds us of Jesus's return. In fact, there, there are five parables in Matthew that tell readers what it means to be ready for Jesus to come back and how we should be prepared. And we know that we're going to be uh, surprised by his return because we're told that he's going to come like a thief in the night. And we know that in the meantime, we can make ourselves ready by being faithful, by looking out for him, by making the most of all that he's given us and by serving him wholeheartedly. That will make the surprise when he comes a wonderful one and not one that we need to be fearful of. But as I looked at this last section of Matthew 25, I see there's more surprises in store for us. And some are really good and encouraging, and some probably will leave us uncomfortable. So let's set the scene of this parable, which actually isn't really a parable in the traditional sense, and perhaps that's the first surprise, because it's treated as such, but instead of starting it will be like, which is what most parables start with, and how that parable of the ten virgins starts and the parable of the talents, instead this time it's just when the Son of Man comes. Get straight to the point. Jesus is coming back. No question. No doubt. The timing will be a surprise, but there's going to be no question in any of our minds that he has returned. We're told that he's going to come in glory with his angels, that it will be a great and public and powerful event. His authority as king will be without question. He'll be seated on his throne in all his heavenly glory and every person from every nation will be gathered before him. There will be no doubt that he is not just king, but that he is God. You might remember Philippians 2, every nation comes before him and Philippians 2 says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Jesus Christ the Lord. Those that know him will bow a knee before him and those that don't will bow a knee. The second coming will be the end. Jesus will come and return, will return and judge the world. 
And those that know him will receive their inheritance and they'll go and be with him, uh, in their, with their heavenly father forever. But those that don't know him will not receive an eternity, will not receive an inheritance and will spend eternity without him. I find it really hard to read this stuff. I don't think any of us like to read words like eternal punishment or weeping and gnashing of teeth. I cannot bear to think of anyone, especially those that I love most in the world, being in a place where God is not. I can't bear the thought of anyone rejecting Jesus or his beautiful offer of salvation and new life. And I don't believe that Jesus takes delight in this role of judging the world. He's gone to extraordinary lengths so that people might be saved and be in his company forever. He endured agony, suffering, rejection, abuse, alienation and crucifixion so that we might be saved. Everything was done that could be done. But this moment is the moment when second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, six chances are at an end. So here then are some of the surprises to consider. Matthew uses the example of sheep and goats in this parable. And I think it's because sheep and goats look very, very similar. In this country, if you put a goat in a, a field with a sheep, you think it'd be really obvious um, which was which. In Israel, it's not so obvious because sheep are not all white and fluffy and look like cotton wool skipping through grassland. It isn't like that. They look like very similar to the goats. And they're all cared for together with the shepherd, all mixed up. They're not kept apart. I went to Israel a few years ago and I saw this for myself. And you can actually see in the distance all these animals mixed up together. But it helps you just to make connections with passages like this from Matthew 25. It makes more sense because you can see that the sheep and the goats are all together. You see, I think that when Jesus is talking about sheep and goats, he's actually predominantly addressing people who are already professing to be the people of God, God's people. And a number of times in this passage, Jesus speaks of brothers of mine. And it tends to be in scripture that when brothers or sisters is referred to, it means those that follow God. Or later in the New Testament, it would be those that follow Christ, Christ followers, Christians. So the first surprise that makes me take a sharp intake of breath is that when Jesus returns, all are going to be gathered before him. And he will separate those that are professing to follow him into two groups. Those whose hearts really do know him and serve him and follow him and those that don't. And perhaps it's important then to ask ourselves whether we are investing in our relationship with Jesus and getting to know him better. Are we developing our friendship? Are we giving him our time and love? Are we talking together and walking through life together, making sure we really know him and don't just say that we do? And so the next surprise which we read of is in verses 34 to 40. Jesus invites the sheep on his right to take their inheritance. They're blessed by God and they're welcomed into the kingdom forever. And I think that the surprise is that those who are welcome don't realise quite what they've done to deserve the welcome. They say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry 
and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? Their humility, I think, makes them unaware of what they've done. Really, Lord? Do we deserve this welcome? What have we done to deserve it? But King Jesus has seen what they have done and says, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Jesus sees what his followers, the righteous, have done in his name, and it's a really big, big deal. Now, let's be careful that we don't think that this means if we do things, we're going to get into heaven. I don't think that that is what this is about at all. If it was that you could earn your place in heaven, then surely this first group wouldn't have been wondering if they deserved his welcome, but instead be really confident and going, yeah, we nailed it. We did what we needed to do. We know that we're saved by trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sin. But we also know that James 2 says that faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. I think this is much more what this is about. When our love of Christ spills over into the service of others and the care of those in need, then we're living out our faith. Jesus can see our hearts and recognise our relationship with him and he knows that what we've done, we've done because we love him and because we want to serve him. And every Wednesday, I uh, go into Castle School at eight o'clock in the morning and I run a breakfast club um, for year seven children to help them make a transition from primary school into secondary school. It's like a safe place for them to come and play games and talk and eat ridiculous amounts of toast. And one or two of the children are children from Child Church who come very regularly, week by week, and are in watchers. And they also come to see you, which is the day before. And last week in see you, what we decided to do was to, um, uh, we had chocolate Santas, And the children had to uh, make labels for their Santas. And funnily enough, they wrote on their labels the verse that uh, Susie had this morning, John 3.16. And the idea was that they attached the label to their Santa to show the greatest meaning of Christmas was Jesus. And then as a random act of kindness, they were to give their Santa away to someone who wasn't in CU and to do something with it, to give it as an act of love and an act of service to someone else. Well, a little boy in breakfast club who has nothing to do with church, he's about this high, he's absolutely gorgeous and infuriating all at the same time. Well, he comes to breakfast club every week and he was watching through the door, apparently, what we were doing but didn't come in. And at breakfast club, he asked me, why were you giving chocolate away? Which basically means, I want some. Why were you giving it away and were there any more? Well, I had to say to him, sadly, that there was no more. And I explained what we'd done and that they'd all been given out. And they were given, just given randomly to people to show as an act of kindness and as a gift. And as I said this, one of our watchers, with no fuss, no noise, no speaking, just went to his bag, produced his chocolate Santa, which he hadn't given away, and sat it in front of Nathan. It was so beautiful and unassuming and quiet that this little boy looked at the chocolate Santa, opened his mouth, (laughs) looked at me, looked at the watcher, looked back at the Santa and couldn't actually believe that he'd been given this chocolate. It was 
just lovely, one of the most lovely youth work moments that I've had all year. And made so by this boy that I knew, I knew that it was his faith that said, I want to give that to that little boy. Because he knew why and he knew what the point of it was. And I believe that that was a very, very big deal for Jesus. And he rejoiced because of what that watcher did. So when as Christians we come to serve others, there are so many ways that we can do these little tiny things that bring great delight to Jesus. We can welcome people into our home. We can give up um, our Christmas day to give a meal to those who are on their own. We can bring people to church. We can keep the food bank topped up. We can give to those that don't have much. We can serve in the, half, in the hive. We can help with all sorts of things in our church family. We can make this, this church beautiful for others to enjoy at Christmas. We can offer a kind word or a text to those that are low. We can pop in on people that we sometimes um, haven't, we haven't seen for a while. We can take a meal to people who need it. Or we could help an open door or be some. It's endless. And it doesn't need to be in a big way. When we serve God by serving others sacrificially, then we are living out our relationship with Jesus. And he sees it and he knows that we're serving him I believe, directly. And it's worth drawing attention to verse 39 here too. We may not be um, prison visitors, but I think when the Bible talks about believers being in prison, it's usually because they're those that have been persecuted for their faith and have found themselves there. So maybe there is something here too about praying for people around the world that suffer for their faith or making sure we support Christians where standing up for their faith is difficult. For our young people, perhaps, who get uh, stick at school or college for what they believe, or for those who are working in really antagonistic environments. All this is showing love of others. We can serve others in small ways by doing what Jesus would do. You see, Jesus came in disguise to earth the first time round, in the most humble setting, amongst the poor, and he was often found talking with outcasts and the destitute and those unacceptable to society. He knows what it's like to be in those situations because he's been there. And when we treat others with love and care, he sees it for what it is as a love and care for him. The righteous, as they're called in the passage, are surprised at the big deal that their little acts of love and service have been to Jesus. Remember that Jesus takes great delight in what you do for him. However, whatever it is, it's a big deal. And then there's the second group who profess to be followers of God. And they're called the goats in this passage. They are a surprise group too, but not in a good way. Jesus has really strong words for them and frightening consequences. This group of people are those that think or say they're followers of God, and yet their life shows nothing of what that sacrificial love and care that Jesus sees in the other group. This group are those that don't care for others, whose words are not backed up by love in action. Their profession of faith is not enough and their lack of love is a big deal to Jesus. It's such a big deal that he says, depart from me. He cannot be with them and he wants no more to do with them. It's a stark and powerful warning and the consequences are eternal and the group on the receiving end are very surprised by Jesus's words because they thought that they were okay they thought they had faith sorted 
but they weren't living it out. And that's a big deal to Jesus. We find judgment very hard to grasp in scripture, don't we? But I actually think we need to be thankful for Matthew's gospel because it has such clear teaching on Jesus's return. Because in the end, justice will prevail and God will once and for all completely fairly bring about judgment on all wickedness. And actually, by reading these verses, I really hope that we're provoked to press on, to press on in our faith, to be ready, to be prepared, to live out what we believe, to love and care and draw others to Christ and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on King Jesus, who came for everybody. The application of this passage primarily starts with how we treat brothers and sisters in Christ, the least of these. Perhaps those amongst us that are suffering, poor, sad, hurting, lonely, young, frail, broken or sick. But actually it goes way beyond that, to serving and loving everybody. Those beyond our doors, those in our community and in our town, in our country and in our world. Showing love, compassion and care wherever we find ourselves, whenever we find ourselves. We need to remember that we can't earn our way to heaven And we need to remember too that our motivation for love and compassion comes from the one who is always loving, always compassionate, always full of grace and mercy. Jesus isn't asking us huge, dramatic, public displays of love. He sees the unseen, the small, the kind thought, the kind gesture, the note, the card, the words, the presence, the little bit of time given and the love shown. Next term, we're thinking about how we can show the love of Christ to our community. So perhaps this is a challenge for us as we head into Christmas and New Year. A challenge for us to love and to care for one another and a challenge for us to take that love beyond our front door, out into our neighbours and our friends and beyond. As I finish, I'm reminded again of that passage from last week and the Master's words, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you want to be that when you meet Jesus? Don't you long for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's be that this Christmas. Let's be faithful, faithful servants of the Lord Jesus, full of love and compassion. And as we remember the baby with humble beginnings, born in a manger at the back of a simple home, down alongside the animals, let's just lift our eyes again to to King Jesus, the Saviour, the Lord, the Friend, to our God and our Judge. Let's seek to serve him and be like him. Amen.